and lost our senses for a little while until the fourth quarter, and then I'm not going to know. Today we're going to look at the sense of taste. Maybe this verse sums it up best from Psalms 141. Set a guard, here's a good prayer for all of us. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Without getting a commentary, without delving into what that means, you understand that verse immediately, don't you? Ever gotten in trouble with your mouth? Yes, we have. The Bible has a great deal to say about what goes in our mouth and what comes out of it. We all need to guard our mouths both ways. The book of James refers to our tongue as a flaming fire and how we can set a fire going with the wrong choice of words. I could get fired in the next 10 seconds if I chose to use the wrong words. I will. But that's not the direction we're heading today. We're going to talk about what goes in, not what comes out. Because if we're talking about the senses, that's where we were headed. So, what goes in? Before we go further, let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for the senses you give us. And creating a world for us to enjoy. Thank you for the gifts that are ours. To take, to feel, to see, to hear, to experience, to smell. Thank you that you're in all of those things. Burning bushes again everywhere. That you place things there so we can see you. Help us to see you today. Help people to see you in us. In Jesus' name we pray. I'm not going to read it to you, but Leviticus chapter 11 is a place for you to go to see dietary laws. Maybe you've heard a little bit about that. Leviticus 11 is a do and don't, a list of do's and don'ts for what goes into the mouth for the nation of Israel. I am so very glad I do not belong to the list on Leviticus chapter 11. No pork. No shrimp. No oysters. How can a bacon-wrapped shrimp be bad? <laughs> when it's one of the greatest things in the world. For me. The dietary laws of Leviticus 11 were not to apply to anyone but the nation of Israel. And the purpose of the food laws were to make Israel distinct separate from other nations. It was a sign. And after its purpose ended, Jesus declared all foods were clean. Mark 7 talks about that. Jesus called a crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said. Try to understand, it's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You're defiled by what comes out of your heart. So, in this, he's declaring food okay. It's not what you eat, but it's what comes out that gets us in trouble. It's kind of both at times, though. We'll talk about that. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd. His disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. 
Don't you understand either, he asked. Can't you see that the food you put in your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and goes to the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then he added, it's what comes from the inside that defiles you. So just looking at that section of scripture to say that all food is clean. Another section of scripture that gives the okay to once forbidden food uh, comes in the book of Acts chapter 10. And I'm going to give you a little background on, well we get a little background as we read. It says in Caesarea there lived a Roman officer named Cornelius who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor, prayed regularly to God. And one afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying with Simon, a tanner who lived near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier one of his personal attendants. He told them what happened and he sent them off to Joppa. Now about Cornelius, you need to know that he was not Jewish. He was a Gentile. And he sent messengers now to Simon Peter to come to his house. <coughs> Simon Peter well, under the old balls, couldn't do this. Verse 9. The next day as Cornelius and messengers were nearing the town, Peter went to a flat roof to pray. It was about noon and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, a kosher meal, he fell into a train. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheep was let down by its four corners. In the sheep were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. And then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared. I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. And then the sheep was suddenly pulled up to heaven. And Peter is perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then, the men by, sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate. They asked a man named Simon Peter. God works in mysterious ways. He said, Cornelius preparing him. He said, Peter's preparing him for a meeting. After this, the story tells us that Peter goes to Cornelius' house and he speaks with him. And when he gets to the house, he says this, found in verse 28 of Acts chapter 10, just to tell him the change going on. Peter told him, you know, it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to even associate with but God has shown me I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So Peter speaks with them and a revival breaks out and several people are baptized. And Peter saw that God could be shared with the Gentiles, the non-Jews. That's the most important lesson in Acts 10 here, that nobody is unclean. God loves everybody. We should all know that. But also here we see the dietary laws drop. The Bible is really more concerned with how much we eat than with what we eat. 
You may recall gluttony is one of the seven deadly sins. The scripture I really wanted to look at today about eating was Daniel chapter 1. And you might be familiar with this story. Daniel 1. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord let King Jehoiakim of Judah fall into his power as well as some of the vessels of the house of God. These he brought from the land of Shinar and placed the vessels in the treasury of his gods. And then the king commanded his palace master, Ashkenaz, to bring some of the Israelites of the royal families and the nobility. Young men without physical defects and handsome, versed in every branch of wisdom, endowed with knowledge and insight, and competent to serve in the king's palace. They were to be taught the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the royal ration of food and wine. They were to be educated for three years, so that at the end of time, they could, end of that time, they could be stationed in the king's court. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah. Mishael and Azariah. You know Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were later on given to them as their Babylonian names. Verse 7. The palace master gave them other names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, Azariah, and Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the royal rations of food and wine, so he asked the palace master to allow him not to defile himself. Now God allowed Daniel to receive favor and compassion from the palace master. The palace master said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king. He has appointed you food and your drink. If he should see you in poorer condition than the other men of your own age, you'd be in danger of my head with the king. Daniel asked the guard whom the palace master had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test your servant for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. You can compare us, our appearance with the appearance of the young men who eat the royal rations and deal with your servant according to what you assure. So he agreed to this proposal and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was observed that they appeared better and fatter than all the young men who had eaten the royal rations. So the guard continued to withdraw the royal rations of the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Parents, you can use this on your kids if they don't eat vegetables, but I won't. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and skill in every aspect of literature and wisdom. Daniel also had insight in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time that the king had sent for them to be brought in, the palace master brought them into the presence of Nebuchadnezzar. The king spoke with them. Among them all, no one was found to compare with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they were stationed in the king's court. In every matter of wisdom and understanding, concerning which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. So the year 605 B.C., Jerusalem's been taken by the Babylonian army. Nebuchadnezzar gets spoiled of war that included these young men. They were to be trained. And it's interesting what Daniel objected to. He didn't, that we know of, object to the new name, Belteshazzar. He didn't seemingly object to the education. But he drew a line with the food. And that's interesting. Why did he do that? 
We're not really sure. Maybe it was food that broke the food laws of Leviticus 11. Maybe it was food that was offered to idols. We don't know what it was, but Daniel had his reasons and God blessed it. There's a lesson here too. If you want God to bless you in the big things, you've got to be faithful in the little things. And Daniel was faithful in the little things, including what he ate. Here comes the hard part for me. Every day I make a decision about what I put into my mouth. Coca-Cola, and I live in Atlanta, is allegedly not health food, but I drink it. Ice cream is not health food, and I love <laughs> fried food is so good, but they say it's not good for me. For some of us, it's a struggle to be disciplined. But we have to. Jeannie did something kind and cruel this week. <laughs> she knows I love ice cream. And so she brought me home some bluebell ice cream. That was the kind part. The cruel part? <laughs> Three ounces. <laughs> That's not enough to kick you off in three ounces. Your scoop's bigger than three ounces, isn't it? But if I am to be careful and to guard my mouth and my stomach, it's probably a good idea. First Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Tell us this about our body, what we put in it. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you're not your own? For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. That's difficult, isn't it? That is very difficult. I have stolen this line from a friend of mine. I have a 500 pound man in me wanting to get out. <laughs> and I have to fight him every day. I do. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, but if I'm not careful, I could be a mega church. <laughs> over the years, over the years, you've seen it. I've seen those not careful with guarding their mouth die as a result. Have you seen that? Of the things they do, the habits they have, the foods they eat. I did a funeral a few years ago of a 17 year old that died of an overdose. He wasn't guarding his mouth. I've seen people drink themselves to death. And I'm so old, I remember when Baptists didn't drink. It was a long time ago. Times change. Scripture says not to be drunk, but there's a gray line there. Paul tells Timothy to take some wine for his stomach. So, in moderation. 
But out of control, we get into trouble. Psalms 34.8 is really good advice. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And happier those who take refuge in Him. What does that mean? It means we should have such a close experience with God that it affects everything we do. From the words that come out to the things that go in. From the things we watch and the things that we listen to and the things that we touch and the smells that we are around. When we draw closer to God, all of our senses will be under His control. It's a battle every day. Ask God for help. Let's pray to God.